been uh, doing a series, as you know, on the foundations of the faith. What are our core beliefs? What's the bedrock of our faith? We started a long time ago talking about the inspiration and authority of the Bible and then moved into a series about Almighty God. It began last week to talk about the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. We spoke about the fact that he is God. And I did the best I could to persuade you that he, in fact, is God, and there is no other. Uh, Now, tonight I want to talk to you about something which initially will look like a bit of a contradiction, because though we spoke last week about the fact that he is God, I would like to be sure to persuade you tonight that he is also man. This Jesus is man. Seems like a contradiction and quite a puzzle. Why would it be that God uh, would even choose to be man? Well, I want to suggest to you uh, three reasons. Uh, There are many, but just three for tonight. And I think the first is this. He did this to save us. Uh, Folks, are you aware of the fact that we have a big, big problem and it resides in our nature? Uh, There is this terrible inclination in thought, word, and deed to do that which is contrary uh, to the holy character of God. That, That we have in common. And so we all have this sin problem. And uh, throughout the millennia, we've struggled with it. We've tried to cover it up in various ways, even to deny it, Uh, tried to do a sufficient number of good deeds so as to perhaps uh, balance out the the sinful inclinations we have, and it hasn't really worked. And so the only thing that will work is a perfect sacrifice for our sin, because this God who we worship has this marvelously holy and just nature and will exact a penalty. We, we cannot pay the debt ourselves. We ourselves being the violator of God's law. And so we need God himself to provide the perfect sacrifice. And this he did in coming to be enfleshed and to be with us. So one of the reasons why Jesus came to be man, fully man, is in order to save us. Now attempts, as I mentioned, have been made to provide a sacrifice And my people have done this through centuries. Ancient Israel provided bulls and goats uh, as uh, sacrifices for human sin. But they really couldn't get the job done. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 tells us this. For it is impossible uh, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now they covered sin temporarily, but they couldn't take them away. Only the perfect substitute and sacrifice Uh, could relieve us of the penalty due us as a result of the violation of God's law, which we're all guilty of. And and so the only perfect sacrifice for sin is God himself. He had to come and suffer and die. But there's a problem. I don't know if you knew this, but God cannot die. He's an eternal being. We spoke about that a long time ago. He has no beginning nor any end. He's a necessary being. In other words, he's not caused. He causes all things, but is caused by no thing and nobody. He is the great I am. He's in the state of being. And so how could God die? Well, he would have to become like you and I, wouldn't he, in order to die? And this he did in the person of Jesus Christ. He came and he died indeed, a rather excruciating death for our sin. I hope there's no doubt in your mind about this. There was none in the mind of the Apostle Paul uh, who said this to uh, us by extension in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement, said he, deserving full acceptance 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom he said, I am foremost of all. So while remaining above time and space, as we once mentioned, God graciously entered the space-time dimension. He took on the very limits of life uh, so that you and I could have life without limit, eternal life. And so the Son of God became the Son of Man. He was born of a woman, just as you and I. Well, not, not, not exactly. I, I mean, he had a... He had a human mother, but he did not have a human father. Uh, and this is a mystery of our faith, which is very difficult to understand, but easy uh, to accept. He was born of God and woman. And so this Jesus is the son of God, and at the same time, he is the son of man. So at his birth, his physical birth, he took on an additional nature. Uh, don't make a mistake about this. He is not one half God and one half man. Oh no, it's even more overwhelming than that. He is 100% God and at the same time, 100% man. And and so this is a mystery, but it's true. Now, since Jesus is God, uh, there has never been a time when he was not God because God is the same. He is immutable. He always had his God nature. So though there was not a time when Jesus was not God, there was a time when he uh, became man. There never was a time that he became God. He always was from eternity past and will be in eternity future. But there was a point in time when he became man. So remaining who he was, he became who he was not. This is the mystery of the enfleshment, the incarnation uh, of the one who is the Lord Jesus Christ. So he did not... Uh, when he came to be a man, ceased to be God. In fact, when he came to be a man, he gave up none of his divine prerogatives, none of his divine characteristics or attributes. So the incarnation of Jesus Christ is not God minus. Oh, no, no, it's God plus. Now, this is a mystery, but I think it's explained to us or at least declared in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And so too, Jesus Christ who although he existed in the form of God, meaning the very essential nature of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he didn't say, I'm God, I'll not become enfleshed. I am God from eternity. I will not become Emmanuel, God with them. No, 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 he didn't do that. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Now, when you think of emptying oneself, you think of removing something. But here's the mystery of the incarnation. Notice how he emptied himself by taking on the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. So this is the marvelous mystery of the incarnation, that the Lord Jesus Christ emptied himself by taking on the essential nature of man. So the incarnation, God becoming enfleshed, God becoming man, is one of the truths. There are many, but this is one of the truths that sets Christianity apart from any other religious perspective. I have to tell you, uh, Christianity is categorically different than any other uh, organized religious expression. And the incarnation is one of the distinctives for sure. God, who is above us, came to be God who is with us, Emmanuel. Do you mind if I take a little break here and just get a little swig of water? I'm a little dry. Are you dry? 
when someone, you are Martha, I'd share this with you, but you, you probably wouldn't want what I have. <laughs> Living water. Water is good. It's essential. Did you know that? Did you know two-thirds of our composition is water? We need it. Did you know without the right amount of water, you can become quickly dehydrated? Yeah. By the time you are 70, some of you are um, somewhat beyond that, but for others, by the time you are 70, you will, ha- you will have consumed over one and a half million gallons of H2O. You need water. If you lose 2% of your body's water supply, your energy will decrease by 20%. A 10% decrease in your body's water supply and you won't be able to walk. A 20% decrease and you're probably not going to survive. You'll probably pass on. Keeping this in mind, could I read to you John 19 verse 28? After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. Stuart just got thirsty. You get thirsty. I hope it overwhelms you to realize Almighty God got thirsty. He subjected himself to the needs we have. He truly became enfleshed in order to save us. When the Lord Jesus began his ministry, he was baptized. I hope you are in obedience to Almighty God. The Lord Jesus did it so as to publicly identify with him and so as to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And when he came up out of the water, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. The Gospels tell us this. And at the conclusion of it, as is no surprise to you or I, he hungered. So think about this. This king of kings and lord of lords, this pre-existent deity, this savior, this Jesus, this one who has no beginning nor end, this alpha and omega, he began his ministry hungry and he ended his ministry thirsty. I am thirsty. Folks, he experienced hardships because he experienced the reality of humanness. He truly was enfleshed. He was no... Apparition. It is no myth nor any legend. He was in a true physical body. He came to occupy it. Somehow he reduced himself to fill up flesh so that he could save ones like you and I. And folks, there is a second reason, I think, why he came as man. The first is to save us. The second is to sympathize with us. You hunger and thirst You have a God who has shared in the experience. He can sympathize. He has experienced all that we have, with one exception, no sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. No, 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 no. We have one who has been tempted in all things. Plenty of temptation was experienced by him as we are yet without sin. You know why? Jesus is not only truly and fully man, he's also truly, truly and fully perfect man. Sinless, never ever 
submitted to any temptation. He doesn't have that character. He has no sinful nature. He never committed sin, even though he experienced plenty of temptation. He experienced hardships and he felt pain. He was lonely. He faced temptation. He experienced poverty and personal attack and rejection and betrayal by one so close to him. He had a real physical body. He had bones. He had skin. He hungered. He groaned. He thirsted. He had real emotions. He experienced the full gamut of emotions, including the good ones, joy and love and compassion, and even the painful ones, sorrow and the rest. He suffered, don't you see, as a real man in order to sympathize with men and women who suffer. Folks, because of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, though he be God, because he is also fully man, we can never say, God, you do not understand. Get rid of that one. It's not true. The incarnation tells me it just is not true. Many, many years ago, before gray hair set in, our three boys were younger, and I'll never forget this. I might have shared it with you, but... Uh, please allow me to share it again. Our youngest, Ben, was in a crib and wanted not to be in it. So he stood up before it was time for him to get out. And he was holding on to the bars and shaking it. You know how kids do that. And he was crying. Well, we were busy elsewhere. Who knows? Watching TV or something. <clears throat> but I could overhear our uh, second son, our middle son, Grant, I could hear him at the time. He was just a youngster himself uh, standing by the crib and looking up to Ben and saying, I know Ben. I know Benny. I know Benny. Boy, I tell you, uh, it's cute when a little kid does it. It's beyond cute. It's overwhelming. It makes you tickled in size. It makes you safer than safe could be. To hear Almighty God said, I know what you're going through. I know. I felt loneliness. I know what it is to be betrayed. I know what it is to be rejected. I have felt real physical pain. I know what it is to be separated from loved ones. I know. I know. The incarnation is important. The enfleshment of the Lord Jesus Christ is designed so that we know we have a high priest who sympathizes. Now, there's a third reason, it seems to me, why this Jesus became man. The first is to save us, the second to sympathize with us, and the third to show us the Father. What a dilemma we would face if we tried to figure out God, comprehend God, know God without a revelation from God. The best of us can only know bits and pieces of the character of God. If he didn't reveal himself to us, we'd be left with philosophy, speculation, guesswork. We couldn't know Almighty God if he didn't take the initiative in making himself known. This he has done uh, throughout the centuries, both in his words and in his works. But there came a time when he gave us the grandest revelation of himself of all. It's recorded for us in Hebrews chapter 1, the first few verses. God after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. 
Do you want to know almighty God? Jesus beckons to you. Then know me and you shall know God. For I have seen the father. He's the exact representation of the father. He's the son of God. Thank God he came as the son of man to reveal the father to us. He's the exact representation of the nature of God. I want to tell you a story that is not mine. It was a story told by Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard about a prince. He was passing through a village once with his father, the king, and there he saw a very attractive young lady. He had an interest in her. The prince did because he was getting to the point where he wanted to find his life partner, his queen. Well, there was a problem. She was quite poor, impoverished, lower class. How could this be? Well, he had occasion, the prince, uh, oftentimes, after the first visit to the village to pass through, he saw her, and there was a real love developing in his life for her. He could have ex exerted his authority and compelled her to respond to him. He, remember, was the king's son. But that's not the kind of love he wanted. He didn't want a coerced love. He wanted a free expression of love on her part in response to his love. What would he do, though? They're in entirely different social strata. Well, he came up with an idea, and he took off one day his royal garments. He laid them aside. And he went into this poor, rural, impoverished village and he took up his abode there. And he put on the clothes of the people and he dwelt among them. And this young gal who he was so attracted to had an opportunity over time to see just how much the prince must have loved her and the rest to lay aside all of these royal privileges in order to prove his love to her. And so she returned her love to him. Isn't that a nice legendary story? Wow. Oh, but what if it's true? What if there's a true story behind it? Then it's not just a delightful little story. Then it can transform our lives. It is true. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God... Ah, so whoever the word was, he is pre-existent. Ah, in the beginning, before existence, he was with God. And the word was God. Ah, the word was with God, the word was God. He, not it, he, person, he was in the beginning with God. And then in verse 14 of the same chapter, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, I don't need the story from the Danish philosopher. I've read inspired scripture. And it has told me this is exactly what the royal son of almighty God has done. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He laid aside his divine privileges while still remaining fully divine, royal. And he shed his eternal garments and became enfleshed so as to suffer the very throes of life we live in order to prove to us beyond a shadow of a doubt, don't you see the extent to which I'm willing to go? 
in order to show you how much I love you. Won't you respond to my love? If anyone could coerce it, it is the very son of God. Remember, we spoke about his omnipotence. Oh, but that's not the kind of response he wants. He wants us to freely, freely come. It is a mystery. Lots of mysteries in our day. Virginia Tech, the tragedy there that we've been uh, so sorrowfully acquainted with over the last few days and will be with days to come. Such a mysterious tragedy that so many young students in the prime of their lives and with such great potential would be cut short. How could one become so disturbed so as to move himself? How could he, his disturbance go unnoticed? For so, I mean, I don't know. The death toll is overwhelming to us it's hard to process it. It's quite mysterious. Where is God? Well, I have to, I have to tell you, he's, he's fully aware of what it costs to die. It's no mystery to him. The father experienced sonlessness, and the son experienced fatherlessness so that you and I could be sons and daughters of God. I don't know how much time I have, and I surely don't know how much time you have. But Almighty God sent his only begotten son enfleshed to assure us upon acceptance of him that no matter what may come our way, we could have eternal life forevermore. Nothing is explainable except in light of what God is doing to redeem a very corrupt and sin-sick world. Oh, God, where are you? <gasps> where am I? Look at your own flesh. <laughs> I took that on for you. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's becoming a little increasingly difficult, is it not, to experience the joy of one's salvation because there's so many catastrophes befalling us in our day. This terrible loss of life, uh, not only in Blacksburg, Virginia, but so many people over the last few days in Iraq. Life so cheapened, it's a little hard to rejoice. Until you think of the enfleshment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope it fills you, me, with an abiding sense of joy. Look what he did to save us. Look what he did to sympathize with us. Look what he did to show us the Father. You know, uh, John Mark, I feel like singing joy to the world. It's not Christmas quite yet, but we can, and I, I, I'll probably need a little help because um, as is obvious to those of you who have heard me sing, would, would you, do you mind just singing joy to the world, the Lord is come? Let's sing that together. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth Receive her king, let every voice prepare his room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. 
The world's not in a good place, but the Lord Jesus came to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord of all has come, and he's coming again. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in our hearts. It's, uh, it's incomprehensible what you have done for us. It's unimaginable, and yet you have made it believable. You did this, the perfect mediator between God and man. The bridge connected on the human side to us and on the divine side to the Father. That's why we're so secure, because you're so securely fastened to both sides. You're son of God and also son of man. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that not one thing befalls us you're not acquainted with. Thank you for being a marvelous high priest who sympathizes. Thank you that we need not look one bit further when we want to know God, but to study your character, your will, your ways, your works, and your words, for you are the exact representation of the character of the Father. Of course, we look forward, Lord Jesus, to your return when everybody will know exactly who you are. Until then, please fill us in the power of your spirit with an abiding sense of joy so that we would look like living proof of a loving God who came and fleshed to suffer, die, and then rise again, all because of our sin and your infinite love for us. As a response, Lord Jesus, not coerced but freely given, we love you in return, and we pray this in your precious name. Amen.